Hi, this is another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries with Kathleen Mercury. And today I'm super excited to have Advent Geek Girl herself, Sarah Bonilla, with us. Hello. Hi. How are you? I am great. <laughs> Happy summer to you as teachers. This is a special sacred time for us to relax and do a lot of work in preparation for this school year. <laughs> and so you were, we were speaking before we started recording about all of the professional development that you're going to be doing. And I'm just, it's so nice to hear how excited you are about what you do and how you do it, how reflective you are um, as a teacher and a practitioner in terms of what you do and how you do it. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. Oh, I'm excited because when you made the call out, I was like, I love her. I really want her to talk to me. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> dreams come true every day on games in schools and libraries, kids. Yay! <laughs> All right. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself, please. Um, hobbies, where I live. Um, <laughs> uh I teach uh, sixth grade literacy actually at South Park Middle School, um, the greatest school name you could ever have. Um, (laughs) (laughs) In Wisconsin, uh, not Colorado, too bad. Yes, in Wisconsin. Um, And I've been teaching for um, about, I'll be on my seventh year, uh, Mm -hmm. and I use games in the classroom all the time for as many things as I can, uh, and I try to break up the um, learning too, because it's amazing how much it helps. Uh, and then I also do um, a tabletop game club. And outside of that, I have my daughter and it's games and movies and games and uh, movies. And Excellent. <laughs> that's about that's about it. There's not much time for anything else. <laughs> yeah, oh, I understand. Well, and that's obviously the thing that caught me was, you know, I've talked a lot about you know, in teaching game design, just straight up game design in a pure game design class, not tied to any discipline, um, you know, that there is really something I have to teach the kids is called gaming literacy. You know, they have to, like with any kind of medium, you have to become familiar with, you know, what it is, what the terminology is, you know, what's kind of out there in terms of that, whether it's, you know, something in the arts, if it's literature and games, I think has its own, you know, type of literacy. Yes. And so when I, when we were talking and, and you do, use use games as part of your actual literacy, mm-hmm. you know, reading, writing, all that good stuff for your actual literacy class. I think that's so interesting because I think that there's a lot of people out there who um, would be really interested in hearing about this and how this works. So one thing that you do is you use the Lucy Calkins, um I don't know if method is the right term or curriculum or what would you call it? Lucy, explain Lucy Calkins and what that means for your classes. Sure. I always call it the um, Lucy Calkins curriculum. Uh, I will say our middle school district does not have the reading program. We only adopted the writing program. So there's mm-hmm. two different ones. Um, but the writing program essentially takes kids through a three bend process for each different type of writing. So it's narrative Um, argumentative and informative writing and each bend within these subject areas so narrative there's three bends the first bend just sort of gets kids into what they're doing so for narrative you might do a lot of flash drafting talk about narrative elements and the second bend then takes what you've learned in that first section and then builds on it Mm -hmm. and takes it to be more in depth and it's more of a um the gradual release of responsibility session where it's the first part is like 
like I do, watch what I do, and, you know, you guys can see how it works. The second set is more like we do, so you do a lot more conferencing with the kids. They talk a lot more with partners and build on these skills. And then the last one, you're still working with the kids, like to give them feedback and things, but they're supposed to take what they've now learned and kind of develop a published process or a published Mm -hmm. piece. Uh, And so the three different curriculums kind of build on that. And then the larger picture is what you develop in narrative is built on an argumentative and is built on an informative writing so that I'm not constantly reteaching some of the same things. It's, hey, remember in narrative, we talked about how we did this with our writing. Well, now we're going to use that for our argumentative writing. So themes, let's talk about those. And so they're always constantly building on each other. Um, And I kind of like to think of it as um, uh, it's a cyclical process. And you're constantly just spiraling um, up and up with uh, the knowledge because you're always building on top Mm -hmm. of that knowledge. And so the kids spend a lot of time flash drafting, writing, um, feedback, and it's always building um, to something bigger. Right. And that's, you know, kind of thinking about how that relates to just pure game design. I mean, it's basically like iterative development, basically taking that initial rough prototype and then working it, reworking it till it turns it into something more substantial. But here you're doing it with just writing. Exactly. That's super cool. Yeah. So, but you started using games um, in this curriculum to help teach and reinforce these skills. And I think this is super interesting um, and probably a fairly novel approach. So tell us about that. For narrative games, uh, what I was doing was using games like Once Upon a Time, um, for example, to teach story structure so that mm-hmm. as kids um, start to develop their narratives and how they're put together, uh, we use the game Once Upon a Time to help with that. And so um, the kids are dealt cards um, that have fairy tale story elements. And the goal is to get to your ending card. And so mm-hmm. as a group, you're telling this story to get to this one ending. And once the kids kind of do that and they work together to tell a story, um, when they're done with their story, then they have to plot the story with like a plot map. Uh, so it's kind of taking the storytelling and accessing their prior knowledge in order to help understand story structure through a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is always a very interesting experiment with sixth graders, um, <laughs> the stories they come up with. So, for example, that would be one way that we incorporate that idea of, you know, we can use a game to tell a story. And then here's how we can use it to make it more formal, to fulfill standards, to be able, being able to plot a story. Um, for argumentative writing, um, I use snake oil every year. I've taught it to my staff because Culkin's uses something called boxes and bullets. And in the box, you have your claim. And then below that, you have your bullets of information. So reason one, three pieces of evidence, reason two, three pieces of evidence, and reason three, it's So what we did with argumentative writing was I give the kids and either a group or partners um, five of the snake oil cards. We pick who we're going to try to sell a product to and they have to write a claim and then provide the evidence and the reasons or the Mm -hmm. reasons and then the evidence. And so they have to kind of give a presentation on their it's the same as the game, but it's formatted. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so they have to, you know, really sell the game. And 
when we do that, we always do it like right in that week before Christmas because it solidifies that information before they leave. Uh, mm-hmm. It keeps coming back kind of throughout the year. Um, they'll always bring up, oh, remember snake oil? And at the very end, end of the year, all of the teachers, our, our core classes, our core teachers, we do something called Amazing Race, and the kids do these tasks, and they use their knowledge from the school year to fulfill them. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that they can do as a money task to earn money to be able to buy transportation is actually doing a snake oil um, boxes and bullets presentation. Um, hmm. And so that kind of introduces that idea of um, presenting you know, organizing your thoughts and then saying, hey, you know, here's why you should do this. And I always tell them they could use it for Christmas. Mom and dad, I want this because reason one, reason two, and reason three. Let me explain it to you. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and so that, it's all very important real world connections. You yes. Know, as you do. Oh, yes. I told them to it's connected to narrative because in sixth grade, they have to write personal narratives. Mm-hmm. And I said, even if you have a job, a boss might ask you sometime, well, hey, what happened last night um, at the store? You know, something such and such happened. And you're going to have to be able to tell them what happened. So it's your personal narrative. Now you don't have to have, you know, um, idioms or, you know, fancy language, but you still have to have a logical story structure when you're still explaining events. And so Mm -hmm. it's always tying it into, um, to that kind of thing. And then informative writing goes so quickly because they do a teen activist unit. Um, Mm -hmm. we didn't get into games so much with that unit, but, Next year, um, we're going to try to implement uh, something new that will lead them into our fourth quarter, which is the actual tabletop game unit using things they've learned throughout um, Calkins. How do you how do kids respond to when you pull out various games to have, you know, to, you know, I mean, when kids see a game, they see a game, they're like, woohoo, this is fun time now. But how do you how do they respond when you pull out games to tie directly into your curriculum and what you're teaching? They're just like, this isn't learning at all. And then it's like, surprise. Oh, Mm. shoot. I learned something. Yes. (laughs) Yes, you did. (laughs) That's really funny. And it's an anchor. And so it makes it really great to go back and just say, hey, remember when we did that? And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, some of them will say no, but yeah. And then it's like, well, this is what we're going to do with that. And they're like, oh. And it's making all those little connections and, you know, referencing things we've done. And it just builds on that. Um, it's all those little connector blocks like we're building. Um, what do I call literacy? Um, it's the Stephen King quote about... Um, But it's essentially, when people ask me how I write, I always say one word at a time. And people always, like, look at me like I'm crazy. And I say, well, take the Great Wall of China, for example. It's one brick at a time, and they can see that thing from space. Mm -hmm. And so that's what literacy is. That's what everything is. It's just one word at a time. And by the time you're done, you're going to have something so amazing that you could probably see it from space in, in some way, but it can be that amazing. And so that's what we start the year off with, this building block and taking all these pieces to show you how 
they um, fit together, which then comes up in a Culkin's lesson, actually, zooming mm-hmm. in and out of your writing. <laughs> huh. So, That's really, really interesting. Yeah. So so what other games um, do you use? Um, in the actual class or mm-hmm. more yeah. in the, the unit? Um Unspeakable Words had gone out of print, and I know it's back in uh, print again, but I had a day uh, where I was working with, I had two students, because Mm -hmm. everybody else went on a field trip, (laughs) and I thought, you know, I I can't, I have nothing for them to do, let's let's play some games, and so I brought out Unspeakable Words, because one of the students, I... uh, I couldn't put my finger on where he was when it came to um, understanding words and uh, was he really just choosing simple words because they were preferable or was he choosing them because he maybe has, you know, a delay somewhere. So I brought Mm -hmm. out unspeakable words um, and sitting there playing that with him and this other student, it just really opened up doors, you know, in formal assessment to really see, wow, that this is really where he's getting stuck. He can't hit past this point to make words. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was a really great opportunity as an assessment tool um, to really get him to, for me to be able to see that without him ever knowing that that's what my motive was um, aside from playing a game and seeing who went insane first. Um, so unspeakable words was one that, when I can play it with certain students, if I have like a breakout or something, I do enjoy taking that game out. Um, another game that I, and I feel cliche saying it, but Dixit, mm-hmm. um, any of the Dixits. <laughs> One of the things I'm using in this fu- um, this future class year, this coming class school year, is taking Dixit cards and putting them on the board. It's just three random ones, and the kids have to pick one of them. And pick something out of it that really means something to them and write mm-hmm. like a little 400 to 600 flash draft about something about themselves um, in like a story. And so using that as like an inspiration and then also kind of on the flip side, teaching them about um, imagery and clues that authors leave in their writing to help people understand their stories. So leaving those clues, because that's what Dixit is really all about, is giving a clue and seeing who latches onto it, or Mysterium, which then mm-hmm. has that larger idea of different things mean um, you know, different things to different people. Uh, and so how do you use those kind of symbolisms in your own writing to help your reader um, understand what it is that the message is that you're trying to get across to them. Um, so Dixon and Mysterium are ones I really enjoy um, bringing into the classroom uh, to help kids see the bigger picture in their writing. Well, and I think you brought up an interesting point. There's a few interesting points. One, um, I had um, a guest on the show talking about um, he, his work on Untold Adventures Await, mm-hmm. and it's a sort of like role-playing sort of storytelling game, but it's based on the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And so um, it is also uh, with um, comes from the same company that makes uh, Rory's Story Cubes. Oh, I love and, them. <laughs> yeah. So this might be one that you want to look into um, because it might provide like another type of way, another type of gaming structure, um, you know, to help kids build – 
you know, like an overall narrative, especially since there's five acts. So I'm not sure like mm-hmm. how all that, you know, t- you know, plot mountain and all that good stuff, you know, development yeah. of narrative. But that might be kind of interesting uh, when it comes to narrative writing, too, because I know we do um, our sixth grade um, gifted class does um, a unit on the hero's journey. So we oh, got nice. a copy of that. And so um, that's something that I'm excited to see roll out. So that's one thing, my thought on that. But the other thing is you talked about assessment. And um, I was recently asked about um, assessment um, and how I assess my students. And that's a whole other thing when it comes to game design and they've oh, never yeah. done it before and they're in seventh grade. But you talk, and I think, you know, when it comes to assessment, you know, it's not just the grading part of it, but, you know, as far as seeing where kids are really at, like, and you think you gave a great example of, how the game was able to illustrate to you where the student had difficulties and something that, you, you know, was harder to ascertain when it came to writing, you know, because if, you know, if a student writes, if they're supposed to write a paragraph and they write one sentence, you know, is it because they're lazy? Is it because they really can't more write more than one sentence? You know, it takes mm-hmm. a lot more work to figure that out. And so using games helped you do that. But how are you able like, what other ways do you use games, you know, how do they help you in assessing your students and where they're at? And do you use the games themselves as part of grading, as part of formal assessment? So how do you assess both informally and formally using games? Oh, well, when it comes to formally, um, we use the uh, Wisconsin State, the core standards, and those have, they're specifically based, but they're also kind of loosely based. And so I look Mm -hmm. at, well, what standard do I need to assess and how can I uh, get my students to the point where I feel they're proficient in that standard. And so I'm able to kind of use um, tools at my disposal to try to get that knowledge to a point where I can formally um, or in in a a summative way assess them. in my in my grade book, uh, my literacy coach and I, and I think uh, my other sixth grade literacy teachers, uh, were very big believers in um, grades should be determined by um, their um, summative assessment. Because if you're grading them before that, you're really just showing their development. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to really put grades into a grade book and say, this is where your child is at, uh, we're looking more at the big picture instead of, well, here, look, we did this reading assessment and, oh, they got a one out of three. But then three weeks later, um, they get a, a three out of three uh, mm-hmm. for proficient. And that one, the parents are freaking out because they've got an, an F. It translates into an F in the grade book. But really, what was the point of putting it in there? Because mm-hmm. they, this is the first time they've ever done it. And right. so I focus a lot more on the final pieces once we've practiced. If I see a whole class issue on something, I'll actually just say, you know what, I'm missing something here. Because if they all just got twos out of fours, is something I have to go back and reteach something and they shouldn't be that shouldn't be put into the grade book and made them responsible when you know I'm supposed to be assessing myself uh, based on how they're doing so that I can change and inform my own teaching so I usually focus more on the end game when it comes to that um, when it comes to just maybe assessing an activity I'll do informal assessment where we might do the so for example with um, snake oil Mm-hmm. I have a notebook. I keep it every year because the kids come up with such amazing ideas and I'll jot down my notes on their product, on their ideas, and then I'll collect their um, worksheets. They have a form they fill out. I'll collect those at the end. And really that's just for me to see where are we at? 
how can I improve this for the future? And it takes the stress off of them a little bit to really put themselves out there and really show me what they can do. And then where that becomes the assessment piece is, I need you to write a claim, give me uh, reasons and evidence. And then it just becomes an anchor piece. And so when it just comes to my normal uh, structured unit, I typically use games as informal um, assessments. It's Uh, accessing prior knowledge or kind of building an anchor so that we can develop from there. Um, And so it doesn't really become anything that's going to end up in a grade book, but it always ties into a standard because that's where we're going. This is the skill I want to teach them. When it comes to the game unit itself, where I actually, we do the game designs, um, Mm -hmm. that again, I line it up to the different standards that we teach. And then I look at um, how do these things fit together? And so when it's the three writing pieces, because they have to do a direction booklet, I have them write a little narrative to go with their game. And then Mm -hmm. they have to sell their game. Those are the three types of writing we did. And so I already have have my Lucy Culkin's rubrics to score those with. I adjust them a little bit to for like direction writing. We go through together and I show them, well, here's how we're going to score this and here's what this counts for and all of that. And then the other pieces they're scored on are like speaking and listening standards or um, uh, just general writing. Are you taking care of your language um, things and writing standards Like there's this one and it deals with um, collaborating with other people using feedback. Mm -hmm. And that's not on the Lucy Culkin's um, subject standards because she just has the narrative, argumentative and informative. And so I'll add in those standards and then I make the proficiency rubric um, and then I tailor the language to um, be geared towards what the activity is. And those become summative because that whole fourth quarter unit you're supposed to be showing me everything you learned throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I love that. I love that, you know, how, you know, all these pieces build together and, you know, and this, you know, sort of like continuous flow, like to a point. Cause I think one thing that's interesting in my class for my students is they're used to sort of these, like, you know, things done in isolation, you know, you do one project, you move on to the next one and they don't necessarily see how they build. And I think what you're talking about, Um, is really meaningful when it comes to student learning because this is what we should be doing, you know, as far as having, I mean, sometimes you do have to do things that are different and, you know, and that's okay too. But I love that. The other thing too is I think especially for, you know, people who are listening who aren't necessarily educators, having, you know, understanding the difference between formative and summative assessments because I think sometimes, you know, when it comes to, like for, I think for our, most teachers at my school, um, formative work is like 30% of their grade and the summative, yeah. which might be like the big test or the big project is 70%. And I think sometimes people are taken aback by like, you know, they see it as, oh, the test should not be worth that much. But if it doesn't always have to be a test, of course, but it's, you know, that thing that you're building towards right. that shows like the, the accumulation of what you use and, you know, the word summative is there for a reason, you know, I think that's interesting. Do I do that too with the, the formal that we have those same like 30 seventies, depending on your department and, you know, for literacy um, for the formal, I'll sometimes put in like our vocab work or our vocab quizzes or mm-hmm. in-class responses, but the summative is where it's like, this is your narrative story that you wrote, or this is, so yeah, having those two different weights is important, you know, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's sometimes, I know it's, it's difficult 
when we get into the back end of teaching and assessment. Well, and, and, and I think too, like explaining to parents, you know, it's always, you know, part of it have like that in, so that they're informed about what's happening, why it's mm-hmm. happening, that it's just not something that's, you know, just, well, it's like when people talk about like how you change anything, they're like, why is there a new way to learn math? You know, yeah. that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. you know, like with all the fuss about common core math, it's like, no, how you do math in your head and how mm-hmm. you do math on paper are two different things. And all they're trying to do is teach you how to use anyway. Um, that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah. how, how's your, um, the administrator response been to what you're doing? Uh, she loves it. She has supported me, um, since day one with everything, uh, that I do with games. Uh, I even had a meeting with her at the end of the school year, uh, talking to her about some future ideas I had for, um, incorporating gaming into our district. And she just, she thinks it's the best possible thing to really have in our district. And the amazing thing about my administrator is that she is so open to us trying new things and putting ourselves out there to try to reach the students. And the only thing she asks is, does it align with the standards? And mm-hmm. if you can say, here it is, she go for it. She's always been supportive of that 100%. Um, so I've been really, I've been a lucky person to have such an open and understanding um, administrator. And that goes for my class and my game club. She has just been amazing. That's cool. Um, well, that actually leads to my next question was um, sort of like, what are their goals or like, what would your wish list be on, on how you could continue to develop using games in the classroom, which you just sort of alluded to. So what are some of those uh, things you'd like to do this fall? Yay. Um, <laughs> this fall, uh, my husband and I had a huge conversation after teaching our tabletop game unit this last, um, this last quarter, because uh, he does come in and not so much co-teaches as he's kind of a support person because I'm sure. typically alone in the classroom. I don't I don't have anybody for the 30 kids that I have. It's just yeah. me. It's me and the kids. And um, so he kind of comes in and helps. And we sat down and I said, there's got to be a way that we can make our tabletop game unit more summative. Like, how could we filter more of what we want from them in this unit into Mm -hmm. the rest of the school, the other things that we do aside from we're going to do argumentative writing, sell your game, or um, you're going to write a short narrative. And so some of the things that we talked about doing um, were again, kind of revisiting this idea of writing kind of short stories because uh, usually with Culkins they you do flash narratives but they're still supposed to be like narratives not like a quick little write and um, starting to look at how to just do um, flash narratives on a small idea so that when we do our game unit at the end of the year we've when I say well you have this many words to write your narrative with um they don't like freak out because they did that this year. They freaked out. And, um, but it was way easier to handle at the end of the year than, well, thanks to the kid who gave me a 10 page narrative. Uh-huh. <laughs> and wow, thanks for the paragraph narrative the one kid gave me. <laughs> right. right. Um, so it kind of gives a bit more structure. But then the kids also kind of have this inspiration um, and an anchor for myself to go back to for them when I say, hey, remember those short stories we wrote? And they just kind of had a theme or they had a message or they had a symbol. 
that's what we're going to do as part of your game. Um, so kind of focusing a lot more on the um, flash narrative um, and mini flash narratives to kind of help them um, acknowledge and really center their ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the things that next year I really want to hit a bit heavier um, in the narrative unit. And I'm waiting to see what some of our uh, reading curriculum is going to look like. We have some um, restructuring of our reading curriculum this summer. So um, I have to see how that factors into um, that particular side of the unit. Um, argumentative writing, I'm kind of intending to keep the same because that has always been the strongest um, piece. and But in informative writing, this is where I think the kids started to get not so much frustrated, but we go from informative writing where they're essentially researching teen activism, and then we go into a tabletop unit. And I say, well, now your informative writing is an instruction booklet. Um, it's, it's this shift in mentality from writing a chapter book on teen activism to... Mm-hmm writing directions. And so one of the things that we talked about was doing um, as part of their teen activism, quote unquote, book that they write, um, instead of having a chapter on what they call call to action, where they have to list three ways that you can go out there and make a difference, having them actually create a plan of how they could go out and make a difference. Like, how would you set up your own fundraiser? Well, first I would do this, then I would do this, I'd contact these people. And so getting their minds into that 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 place so that when we go into the game unit right after that, they're already thinking in kind of a sequential step sort of way. Hmm. And so that was one of the changes um, I wanted to make. And plus, it's the last chapter, so it would be a perfect transition um, piece to go with that. But then we're also hoping it inspires our kids a little more to maybe take action on the topic that they're they're passionate about, that they're writing about. Uh, so it, it has that kind of double fold. So introducing this kind of um, step-by-step structure to get their heads into a good place for that. Um hmm. Some of the other things that we're hoping to do next year for our game unit, it always centers around the actual reading of the direction booklets. Uh, We start out, and I I got this from you and I loved it, um, Mm. research is playing games. And I was like, yes, yes, it is. (laughs) Yes. And so um, this is where all the other classes, all the other sixth grade literacy classes get jealous because, what, you guys are playing games for like a whole week? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, we are. Good ones, too. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, come in and check them out. Um, And one of the things that we keep trying every year, and we feel like we keep failing at this, but it's bringing in games where we know the directions. And um, I sometimes leave this up to my husband a little bit, too, because he has time to just play games all the time throughout the year, whereas I get bogged down in all the other stuff. And Mm -hmm. he'll say, okay, I think these games we should bring in and we'll look at them and talk about them. And he said, I think these directions are going to be real easy, real simple for them. Great. Cool. So the first two days we spend with the kids having to work together to read the directions Mm -hmm. and figure out the game. And right there, informal assessment doesn't want to read them, doesn't want to read them, has has completely stalled and refused to play the game because they Mm -hmm. don't want to read them. The the gamut is just huge. And then you have the games. Yeah, or if they 
if they um, are playing it wrong or they oh, miss yes. something or if they don't understand something and they, they want you to explain it, it's like, no, you mm-hmm. can figure this out. And like, no, I can't. Yep. I can't figure this out. We tried. We're done. You know, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, you learn a lot about kids when it comes to, I mean, especially for me from the game standpoint. Yes. You can, you know, how much they like playing games. Are they kids who, you know, are hesitant to like try to win hard or they do they try to take over the game? There's exactly. a lot you can learn about them personally as well as their approach to games just by having them giving them a you know mine come in there's a box on the table hi guys nice to meet you open it up read the rules go ahead and play yep what yeah (laughs) exactly um and it it is it is it really is such an eye-opening experience i always love when they make up their own rules and Mm -hmm. you just walk by and you go what game are you playing and they'll say well this oh huh Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. And then it's kind of like, we're just going to walk away or they get so angry that you won't tell them. Yes. And, um, and these are directions we've already like vetted and made sure that, oh man, that's that one that had that rule that's not in there and it's going to mm-hmm. freak the kid out. So we, we vet the directions. Right. Um, and it's still just so hard for them because they just want you to tell them mm-hmm. how to play. Yeah. And so that's the first two days. The first day is really just good luck. The second day is we kind of come around and start to give them tips on, mm-hmm. well, have you looked at how this direction booklet works and look at how it goes here. And then, you know, so even just the layout of it and how it works and, yeah. um, well, and, and especially for some games, because I tend to use the same ones over and over and over again, mm-hmm. I know where they're yes. going to have difficulties with the rules. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, for those, that's where I'm kind of like looking for, like, those are my sort of like benchmark points where, yes. so for example, in Cthulhu in the house, mm-hmm. if they don't, un- like the portals don't make a whole lot of sense um, if you're just kind of reading them through the rules, but like, it's not hard at all once you just play it and you're like, oh, okay, it's one of those moments. So it's an interesting little experiment to see like are they actually going to get out the pieces are they going to try to like work it out with that or are they just expecting that they can read through everything and do that in powerpuff girls um uh, i play a game powerpuff girls villains at large and in that one you use the cards to both try to take control of the girls but you also have to use the same cards to fight the monsters so if you're basically dueling back and forth to, to take you know to take control of a girl from another player well then you may not have enough to actually fight the monsters and so there's like a balance there but right. sometimes as far as um, you they have to you have to you know basically take take one of the girls you don't you know you don't just choose a player at the start and that's what happens you know you open the box kids are like I'm blossom I'm buttercup I'm you know yeah. Yes. They just start taking uh, the characters that they want to play. And mm-hmm. I just, I'm like, like we played uh, the tortoise and the hare. Uh-huh. Yep. Or the hare and yes. the tortoise. Yes. Uh, and they just all quick grab the things and then they play as the characters. And we always walk by and I just go, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. How are you playing this again? Yeah. And I just, and it's because they've never seen a game like this before these Mm -hmm. things are so new to them so what what we do before we go into the research stages i give them a packet and i said this is the one time you're going to see me in front of you just running my mouth for a hundred minutes and i said bear with me (laughs) and it's a packet of vocabulary 
that they might encounter while they're reading directions or what we expect for you to use for domain-specific vocabulary when you write your directions. So things like different mechanic types or different components or different theme style of games. And when they're researching their games, they have little half sheets of paper mm-hmm. and um, and they have have to put their name on it, the name of the game, but then they have to write down what game mechanic do they think this game is using or game mechanics. And then they write, here's what I loved about this game. Here's what I didn't like about this game. And then would I use this as a mentor game and mentor game comes from Culkin's use of mentor texts Mm -hmm. um, where it's always looking at somebody to help teach you or guide you. So when we're writing a narrative, did you just read a short story and you loved the way that beginning did? What about that beginning did you love? How could you do something like that in your own writing? Um, so it's it's looking at, here's the people who came before me, or here here's, um, I love the way somebody did this. And it's not copying. They always get that in their head. It's not copying. It's, I like what they did there. It makes sense to me. I want to use this as a guide. So when you look at Stephen Curry and you want to play basketball like him, Mm -hmm. are you going to watch his videos and try to do his moves? Yes. So why don't we look at the game developers and try and use their moves? And so they start to think about what games really stood out for them. And a mentor game could be, I love the way their direction booklet was written. It could be, I loved um, the different mechanics the game used. Uh, Take That was really popular this year. Um, Mm -hmm. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Mine really loved Take That and Press Your Luck. Yes. And I was just going to say, Press Your Luck is is the funniest one because every year, every kid who has dice in their game wants mm-hmm. to tell me it's press your luck. This year, we solved that problem. <laughs> we said, so you're telling me that your game is like a casino game. Well, no. no. Okay, so what am I pressing my luck with? Where am I going to lose my money? Right. Well, well, no, nowhere. Oh, well, maybe we should rethink your mechanics. Right. It's, a, it's so. okay to have it as a randomizer, but it's not exactly. necessarily press your luck. Right. Okay. So that's actually my, that was the question I had. So how much actual game design do they do? Cause you're talking about like pitching their game. How mm-hmm. much actual game design do they do um, in your class or, and do they ever like keep going with it when they're done? Some of them do. The kids go through the whole process. So we do the research and then they pitch their idea. My husband and I are there to kind of guide them to help them develop their idea. I help more on the writing end and he does more of like the game design part because that's where he excels a little more. Like if he sees, I see what you're doing here, but I think we're missing something. Whereas I'm Mm -hmm. looking at the format, but they go from taking an idea to writing their directions and actually developing a game, play testing it themselves, creating components digitally. Um, I give them a crash course in how to create components using Google Draw, and they make all their own things or they bring stuff in from home, kind of whatever they want to use. I provide a lot of materials as well for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the it's wide open. I've had kids go to our art teacher and say, I want to make these little clay things. Can you help me? I've had kids bring in Lego pieces from at home. Um, a lot of them use my um, box of stuff. I had kids order their own custom meeples this year, mm. which was adorable. Um, 
they make the whole thing. They make their boards, they make their pieces. They also have to put print requests into a spreadsheet and check it frequently mm-hmm. and have detail. And I come home every night um, during components week and I print out all of their stuff for them. Oh, that's so nice of you. It's whew, this year was the best year ever. <laughs> I'm getting better at it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I print out everything for them. If I have a question about something, we deal with it the next day. Or if I know I can fix it, I'll fix it. We'll talk about it the next day. And, you know, um, if they give me a lot of stuff that have a lot of errors, I don't print it. And I make a note of it for their, when I'm scoring components had issues or how much did I have to go in and help them fix, not graphics, but like typos and punctuation. Mm -hmm. Um, And at a certain point, sometimes you just have to say, okay, we're done. That'll be in your grade, but I need to give you a game. Um, Right. So we spend probably a week and a half doing game components everywhere from creation to printing. If kids do personal art, I scan it and I'll um, crop it to give it, to put it into a card for them because they've spent so much time doing custom art. So Mm -hmm. I'll go that extra mile to help them out because it takes forever. Um, And so they can do whatever they want. So once they've made their game and we laminate all the cards, then they have to play test their game, just the them and their partner to see if it even works and if they need to make adjustments and if they need to change some things. Then we invite um, staff and parents to come in to play test games. So the students can't play each other's games. Like they can't play their, sorry, they can't play their own games. Um, And so they go around and they leave feedback and we have a feedback form um, to leave and Uh, Also write notes on their directions, like this should be changed and um, I'm not sure I understood this. So we have a lot of people come in to give them feedback and the students are not allowed to go over and help with their game. Boy, do they want to. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, But I keep saying, no, your directions have to speak for themselves. Uh, So we do that. That's really, really tough. Yeah, oh, it is. (laughs) It's the hardest part. You just see them just, no, my game is great. I want them to play it. Uh, And so they have time to then adjust their directions um, Mm -hmm. and then do another play test. And they still are getting feedback from like me and Mr. Bonilla and sorry, my husband. And Mm -hmm. um, they're getting feedback just constantly. So then when their game is finally published, it's done. My directions are done. My components are done. I've taken pictures of my game. We've um, the other thing I stole from you loaded on the board game geek. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> for feedback. I loved that. The kids start to see this is a bigger thing. Um, but by the end of it all, you really see the kids who wanted to do a good job. And you see the kids who kind of threw it out the window because they took that feedback and feedback is hard. Everybody knows that mm-hmm. feedback will break your heart and soul because it's your creative baby. But you really see the kids who know how to take that feedback and use it. And sometimes they get bad feedback, and I always tell them, it happens. Don't right. use it then. If you have a question, yeah. ask me. I'll tell you. You know what? I don't know why they wrote that. Let's not mm-hmm. Let's not follow that feedback. Right. Well, and I think, and for my students too, you know, it's like they get lots of different ideas, and, you know, that's the nice thing about being, you know, the designer is that ultimately – 
they don't have to use it, you know, that they might get lots right. of different ideas from other people. Um, but at the end, you have to decide which idea is the best. But, you know, if you've got a lot of people telling you kind of the same thing, you have to pay attention to that, even if you don't want to. And I think, especially for feedback, you know, the model I use, the Stanford D school model, like this, the key point of that prototype development process is empathy, you know, understanding the needs of your user. And, you know, even like posting stuff on BGG, you know, I mean, it's near, it's at the end, you know, we're kind of done, but some kids games get a lot more likes on them than other kids games. And it's like, well, are you happy with what you did? You know, it becomes a whole lesson again, like a personal one about where success, you know, because you know, your game isn't done, you know, your game isn't finished and other people may not like your game as much but can you still see success in that? And it's a tough lesson sometimes, but I think it's an important one so that we're not, you know, sugarcoating what the world is going to give them when you do something creative, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to like break kids' souls, but on the other hand, you know, getting them to like learn from this and get over this so that when you put work out, you know, to see its value in it for yourself so that even, you know, to become a little bit, you know, to help develop that thick skin a little bit towards what other people say. And actually I've got questions um, for you based on what um, you're talking about, because um, this fall I'm doing, um, all of my seventh grade classes actually will be um, in the second semester. Um, I'm teaching only eighth grade, and I don't do board game design with them. I do RPG design and a whole bunch of other stuff. But my board game class, I'm only doing once this year, but I'm doing it with all my students at once, and that's going to be around 90 kids. Oh, gosh. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the thought of having 80 to 90 board game projects kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. And so um, I'm playing with the idea of having them work with a partner, mm-hmm. uh, but also... And only one. I wouldn't have groups of three because somebody can easily get outvoted and less work. But the other thing, too, is having them do um, – they're going to make their games print and play. So that when we post um, their games on BGG that people will actually be able to download um, the the rules as well as all the components. So I was wondering, especially the partnership side is interesting to me. Um, I do like that kids have complete autonomy. You can see very easily in terms of, like, who – did more work and who didn't in terms of their game, its development, how it's changed over time. And I asked my kids um, in a couple of my classes, I said, if you had your choice, knowing what you know now, would you rather do this on your own or work with a bad partner? Because everybody wants a good partner. Everybody thinks they're a good partner, but you know, you know. And a lot of kids, would, when I gave them that choice, a lot of kids um you know, said they'd rather work on their own. When I said, okay, would you rather work, you know, on your own or with a good partner? There were still a good number of kids who said they'd rather work on their own. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably let them, for this upcoming class, let them choose that. But I would imagine, because I don't know what necessarily they're getting into, um, I imagine a lot of them will choose to work with a partner. So what have you learned as far as kids designing games with each other? What advice do you have for me in terms of, hey, here's a fun thing that's going to hit you in the face sometime? Uh, the partner, the partner project has always been. It's become a legendary story that huh. apparently all these kids now tell, and they always remember this um, from year to year. So when I bring back seventh and eighth graders to do Q and A with my sixth graders when we start the unit, uh-huh. so that they can kind of instill in them that 
uh, expectations are high, you should meet them. Uh, we always talk about the partnerships. And going into this, if I have an odd number of students in my class, because I also do not like groups of three, mm-hmm. uh, I will usually um, ask, is there anybody in here now knowing how difficult this will be? who would like to work on their own. And typically I only have like one student who's just like, yep, I'm going to take on this job. And I'm like, great, it is yours. And I'm a little extra supportive to that person. Um, Because a lot of time they are going that extra mile to just be crazy, insane, amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, This year is the first year I had a couple kids who wanted to go solo. So we rolled a die, fairest way. And uh, the one kid who uh, I really was hoping would get to be alone was, and he, because he needed to excel on his own. He's just, he was just that type of a student. Yeah. Um, but what I usually tell them, once I get that out of the way, uh, what I usually tell the kids is, um, you're choosing a partnership. And I know you guys work in groups in math. I know you've worked in groups in um, some of your other classes uh, in science. And I said, so take a moment right now and think about how well do you work in a group? And who do you know that you work together really well with, even if you're not besties? Because I'll tell you this. Every year that I have best friends choose each other because they Mm -hmm. just, we love each other. We're going to do amazing. This is going to be so much fun. Um, The next year I hear from one or two of them, they're not friends anymore. And I Mm -hmm. said, I'm sure it's nothing related to my unit. I think it's the curse of the unit. Um, But I always say it tests your friendship because you are now going up against each other creatively. And that's something that is very personal. And I said that can really stress your friendship. And especially if the one friend starts to get a little lazy and then you get upset at them. And I said, so it's better when you're thinking about your partner, who is somebody you know that you would just work well with, not somebody who you're, you know, like we're going to be besties through like our thirties and forties. And I said, the other thing you want to think about too, because they're getting to that age is, um, (laughs) <laughs> we always have a romance that breaks out. Oh, cool. <laughs> a boy-girl uh, group will start, and it always becomes the most adorable group I have ever seen. And um, we did not this last year, though, but um, in previous years. And the one group that just stood out, because they also made one of the top games um, of the unit, uh, they came to me the, at the end of the following year and said, you know what, Mrs. Bonilla, we always come in and tell this story for you, but you know, we really broke up. <laughs> ah. And I said, Oh, but you had, you had those moments. They just always laugh and blush about it, but it was so adorable just watching them. And they fought like a married couple and it was the cutest thing. But I, I do, I really enforce that idea of it's not about picking your friends. It's about picking people who have a like-minded mentality about work and, you know, the kids who listened, man, they did a great job. The kids who didn't, they they did a job. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's one thing, too, because I think, you know, letting them, you know, at some point, you know, like after the first cycle of prototype development, you know, is usually when if kids want to redo a game or they realize this is not working, they want to come up with a new concept. I'll let mm-hmm. them do that. 
after the first cycle, then say, okay, but you've got a lot of work to do between now and next week when we play test again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that'll probably be the moment where we see, you know, what groups are not necessarily functional, which ones are. Right. Um, you know, and one of my students said that even he'd rather have a bad partner. And I said, why is that? I said, is it because you know you're the kind of kid that's just going to take it all over and do it all anyway? And he said, well, yeah, but he's like, it's still somebody else to like bounce ideas off of, someone else who's mm-hmm. going to care about it as much as you do. And I thought that's a really good point. So I think it's definitely going to be interesting. I mean, it's certainly lots of times people ask me about having kids work together on this. Um, because, you know, oh, in the real world, you work with other people. Right. And I say, yeah, that's true. But this is also kind of nice that this is one time where you don't really have to. They will mm-hmm. play test their game with almost every other kid in the class, but they don't necessarily have to sacrifice. I mean, because what right. I don't want to have happen is, you know, there's cool idea A, cool idea B, cool idea B. They don't mm-hmm. necessarily agree. And so then they pick, like, you know, lackluster idea C because they both don't totally hate it, you know? Right. So I think it'll be really interesting in terms of, you know, seeing how innovative and creative they'll be. But also, too, I think you also can get – you will get the flip side of someone has crazy pants idea A and the other kid's not thinking it through and just like, yes, let us do crazy pants idea A and we will do this and we will ride to the mountains and it might work out, you know. (laughs) And and so we'll just see. Like, I mean, I always say – you know, teaching middle school, and you'll probably agree with this, is like riding the dragon. You know, yes. you just sometimes you just kind of hop on and see where this bad boy is going to go because you can't necessarily direct a dragon. You just got to kind of see what lands it takes you on, and then you yep. just kind of deal with it, you know. So I'm excited. I think it's going to be a fun challenge for me, too, because I've been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, I'm using this as a reason to kind of shake things up a little bit. Um, I could easily keep doing it the way that I was doing it, and it would be all right, but I feel like I'm ready for like a new kind of challenge, and I think this will add. I'm excited to see what I learn and gain from this process, um, from mixing it up myself. So um, I'm actually yeah. really excited about um, seeing what they come up with, especially with other people. I'm, of course, a little bit afraid that they're going to have all these amazing games. They'll be like, oh, no, I should have done this before, but that's okay. I think think the past work is good and stands on its own. The other other nice thing is um, it also can play to the different partner strengths. Like mm -hmm. sometimes there will be one student who's much more uh, savvy with – you know, developing the components or how to organize that, whereas the other one kind of has that um, more direction-mindedness about how to organize a structure. And so sometimes, you know, you have those groups where the different kids have those different strengths and it comes together, whereas if they worked on their own, they might not have been able to achieve the vision they had because they just weren't like, I'm not a great drawer. Um, so I would definitely be like, Hey, I know you doodle all the time. Be my partner. Um, <laughs> yeah. we'll work together. Um, yeah. well, and, and so that, that's, and that's, that just gives me an idea. Like have the kids like kind of do a self-assessment, like what part mm-hmm. do you like better? Do you like theme or mechanics? Do you like this or yep. that? Do you like, you know, and to see like if kids would want to pick each other based on that, you know, of course yeah. that would, that could also turn into like pure, you know, chaos cause Mm-hmm. middle school but you know and the idea um, the idea guiding too um is a lot of where like my husband comes in and I come in and we're always checking in with them because we do have the off the rail kid or this one's like I know you play a lot of games and um 
they're going to work together, but they try to do too much. Mm -hmm. And one kid is a bit more timid. And so we try to um, intervene to, to kind of work with them. Or if I know there's a timid kid, I try to, you know, break them out a little bit too. So there's a lot more um, working with uh, small groups just to, it's constant feedback and conversations and, um, it's really great because it does help to keep them focused and to not let there be a dominating person. And yeah. when I see that happening and yeah. it does happen, I usually will pull that group aside and, you know, we'll just, I'll be like, Hey, you know, you guys had some great ideas, but what, what's happening here? Tell me what's going on. Let's come up with a plan. And so, um, that'll, that'll happen sometimes too. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested. Um, and seeing, like I said, this is like the big experiment. So we'll see. It's because it's so different from how I've approached it. But I think there's good reasons to try it. I'm not worried. Like, I'm not doing it for to reduce my grading workload. I'm not worried about that. I would just want, I just don't want to be exhausted and have nothing left at the end of the day being yes. realistic about it. And I think the kids have a lot to offer each other at the mm-hmm. point we start developing games, designing games. So it's like, I think it's worth the, all the classes at once was sort of the catalyst, but the idea behind all the benefits from it is what's really pushing it forward for me. Yeah. Um, and speaking of kids work together, we were chatting about your tabletop game club and you do a lot of, co- which a lot of us have out there and that's awesome. We love that. Um, but you do a lot with community work, and I think this is so interesting. So tell us all about that, because you said this is like one of like the big things that moves you as a person. I love that. Yeah, it's and it's definitely one of my summer projects. Um, one of the community things that I do with my um, game club is you come in and play test the sixth graders' games. <laughs> because some of them have been there already, done that, because I've had them as sixth graders. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm always like, well, you're part of the club and you have meaningful feedback so I would like you to play their games and give them feedback and then they get really excited about it because they're like yeah I remember this yeah remember this direction thing you should be doing this this is what Mrs. Bonilla wants (laughs) oh that's cool it's adorable um well sometimes they'll listen to each other better than you saying the same thing over and over again yeah they're sick of listening to me (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah my game club uh is something that uh, I'm I'm incredibly proud of, and it's taken years, and I've had my ups and downs with it. Like, I almost closed it down one year because I just felt so um, frustrated with it. But I started the Tabletop Game Club at my school in my second year of teaching, and mm-hmm. I host it during lunchtime. Um, every time I've asked kids, should we do it after school? None of them want to do it after school. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it became a lunchtime thing, and... Essentially, what we do is um, the first half of the year, we spend um, teaching kids about games. Uh, Mm -hmm. So my veterans, these are like my seventh and eighth graders who have been in club already. Um, My veterans will teach incoming sixth graders games that we have in what we call our game vault. So these are the games that are always here, always available to play. Um, and so they work together to teach them. Then, um, my husband or myself comes in 
well, I'm always there, but uh, every other Monday uh, we teach a brand new game. So we'll bring one from home that isn't normally sitting in the vault and we'll teach it to um, the kids and we kind of call it our feature game and we Mm -hmm. leave it there for two weeks and the kids can play it at the end of two weeks. If they're kind of like, eh, we'll take it home. Um, But every two weeks we still, we still teach a new game. So it's about that kind of educating them on what games are. And we start our year off with going to a a game convention. And it's the Northeastern Wisconsin um, Game Convention, Game of Palooza, New Game. Those are all their their names. And we Mm -hmm. actually run the family area. Oh, cool. And I have the kids, the veterans know the drill. (laughs) And sometimes I'll even have my eighth graders run out in the adult area. Like, don't run the family section, sending you out there because you're going to be leaving me. And I want you to go be adults now. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then my sixth graders have, you know, the seventh graders kind of are modeling. But they choose games. They learn the games and then they register themselves as teaching them in kind of our family area. And so um, this way they kind of get a firsthand look at what what is gaming culture like in the Oshkosh community. And then they get to participate in the different activities that are going on at the convention and all of that. So we, we always run the family room at that particular convention. So I get them out there teach some games, and then they come back, and then we spend um, through December just really immersing ourselves and learning how to play games. Uh, This also includes, um, they usually ask me, not the club, but they say, will you run a game room for our uh, incentive activity? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, let me ask the club kids. And then they come in and help run that for the um, school, like where all the end of quarter... Uh run a game room, the kids can come in. So I have them help me with that. Um, We were invited this past year to help with um, a math night at an elementary school. And it wasn't a requirement, but I had several of my club kids come out to help run games uh, at the elementary school. And that particular elementary school is one of our feeder schools. So the kids from the fifth grade there Mm -hmm. come into our middle school because ours is a standalone middle school. And so it was building those relationships. So they came out to help um, with that. The next half of the year, we started doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) lock-ins. So once a month on a Friday, um, we reserve the media center and we stay there all night and play games. And one of the things I learned with the club is that the kids at lunchtime want to play all these short little games. And I never feel like they really get into games, even though I'm Mm -hmm. like, you can leave them up on the tables, you know, and all that. And they, I understand why not, but um, it's just always so sad because I feel like they just play the same games over and over again. So right. the lock-in was a great opportunity to really diversify their um, exposure to games because now we can play these big, long games. Um, and so... Do you stay up all night long with them? My husband stays up all night. I go to bed about one or two. <laughs> wow. So it's, yeah. That's, it's a, okay. It's Everybody, whatever you're doing in the internet, that's freaking heroic. All right. <laughs> Like, that is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. Just kidding. No, I mean, because I'll no, do like a game night, but too. I'm happy to send them home at like 9, 30, 10. You know, yeah. this whole lock-in business. You're 
I'm done. This is crazy. Yeah, my principal actually called me to confirm that I really wanted to do this for from January to May. And I said, yes. <laughs> oh, and I'm sure parents so, are just like. Yep, here's my kid. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Confetti parades in your honor. No problem. Yeah, it was just like, okay, we'll take them all night. Um, so that- we... We started the lock-ins. They've been amazing, and it really uh, reinvigorated my passion for my club because now I'm seeing these kids really cared um, about gaming, even though they sit in my room at lunch and just play the same game. Stop playing Love Letter. (sighs) I love it, but every day is just not. Um, I always tell them if I see one game being played too much, Mm -hmm. like that's all you took out all week, I'm going to put it in the game closet and you will not see it for a while (laughs) so please please diversify your gaming um but we do that and then at the end of the year i always tried to bookend um our first con with something at the end and we had tried to do um what was it called? A uh, tabletop day, international tabletop day. Mm-hmm. We'd always tried to host an event in our cafeteria, but I think I was just kind of naive or just kind of meth motivated. And then it was hard to kind of compete with other people who were doing other international events, sure. uh, tabletop day events. And it just ended up being, you know, like a, a lock in, but not an overnight one, just a morning to afternoon thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it was usually just our club kids. And, um, but this past year, uh, our local game shop, uh, called us and asked us to run the family area at their game convention here in Oshkosh called chaos con. Mm-hmm. And so now I have bookend conventions to take my kids to, to show off what they've learned throughout the year. And I was like, this is the most wonderful thing next year. Uh, myself and uh, one of the game shop owners, we're looking to start a monthly district gaming night, like a family game night. And my club kids, because um, I was talking to them about it last year, they're the ones who are going to come in and help facilitate the teaching of the games to start reaching out to our district and our community. But my big push with the kids is to take what they've learned and um, teach it to others. Uh, even just to go up to the local game shop and, you know, share what you're learning with other people. And so one of the things that I started this summer, uh, and it's not technically my game club because it's the summer, um, but I started a kids teaching kids summer camp. Mm -hmm. So on um, Mondays at our local game shop, ages five to nine, Um, can come out and they play with other kids in that age range and we support them bringing their own games or teaching each other their own games um, so that they can start to learn to work together and be able to share those ideas together. And then on Wednesdays, we have um, ages 10 to 14. No, I don't card if you're 15. It's fine. Um, But they come out and they teach each other games. Um, We didn't get support um, from our school district on that because it was being held at a store. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it's a for profit location. Um, so it didn't garner as much attention as I had hoped. Uh, so we have kind of a small group in each age range right now. Um, but we get to play with them then. Uh, but it's been a really wonderful opportunity to really, again, foster that idea that kids are out in the community, helping to build a stronger gaming community um, and working on that. But I really love that my kids when, who are in the club, who are members, um, that they are so open to going out and teaching other people, whether it's at our school, other schools, or just in the community in general, because um, it's such a great skill to have. Um, well, and I love so many different ways you have kids, not just, I mean, I have kids come in and play games and, you know, a few times a year I'll do a game night where we're there for a lot longer. We order pizza and all that. But I wrote, I've written down, I wrote down lock-in, but that's about as far as I'm going <laughs> that madness lady. But, um, but even, you know, let's think about like our local convention, you know, like having, um, people always want to have, um, like a kid's gaming area, family gaming area, and we don't, but who's to say we couldn't just do like a one-off afternoon where I have kids come in and, you know, teach games, um, they could be their games or it could yeah. be, you know, published games, but just to have that kind of like, just see what the world is. Because one of my big things is wanting to like take down barriers for kids. Like you can become part of this world. It's a really fun world. Gaming's mm-hmm. awesome. You make a ton of friends here. If you're really smart and you like games, there's lots of people that will play with you, you know, and a way to m- make other friends with other kids, what you're talking about, like having gaming camps, all that other stuff. I mean, my parents, I had one parent tell me this year, you know, she said that her daughter went home after we, you know, put that initial round of playing games and her daughter wanted her to buy like two or three of them. And the mom did, yeah. she said, because I will always buy my child a board game. If she wants to play board games, I will buy her whatever board game she wants because I, this is what I want my kid to be doing, you know? Yeah. And I think that, yeah, there's a lot of really amazing support parents will give. That's so cool. There is. I, um, I ran into, um, one of my former students, uh, we had a professional development at the high school and he was just standing there when I walked in and I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in forever. And he just stopped me and was like, he was with his girlfriend and I was like, ooh, girlfriend. Um, and he, <laughs> and he was just like, I just, oh, I forget her name now. Oh, shame on me. Um, but he was like, this is the teacher who turned me into a geek. She is the reason that we sit there every day at lunch and we play da 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 da. And I was just like, what? And he was like, yeah, me and, you know, the gang, we all still hang out and play games, you know, during our whatever the free hour is or whatever. And I was just like, really? They were like, yeah. And he was listing them all. And I went, oh my gosh, really? Like I actually cried (laughs) because it was like, I was so proud of them. They were the first, um, group that I had had throughout, I think the whole, um, my whole time having a club and we had always talked about how we're family. And, you know, when you come in here, understand that we're your family. Don't look at this as a, a school thing. If you have a problem and you need to talk about it, we're here to help you. If you feel like you don't belong, you come here because you do. We want you here. You are part of who we are. And for a couple of those kids, um, cause 
and I ran into another one of them at my con, mm-hmm. <laughs> he told me that too. He's like, you know, you made such a difference having these things. And I was just like, um, cause I'd never heard those things before. Right. And, well, and kids it don't need wonderful. to have, kids don't need to have a lot of friends. They need to have a few really good ones. Yes. Yep. And by helping yep. them find a few really good ones, that's the difference between, you know, can be the huge difference between being miserable and, you know, yeah. and not. And I think, you know, if we can have as few miserable kids as possible, yeah. we're oh, doing yeah. a good thing. Well, <laughs> well, this has been so incredibly great to talk with you. I'm so excited that I'm going to get to see you at Gen Con because you're going to be presenting at Trade Day, right? Yes, I'm presenting um, the Calkins unit again this year. I didn't get to last year. I really find it special that game design is as much as so much... I think a lot of people connect it so much with like um, math or, you know, because of all the um, mechanics and things like that, Mm -hmm. that it's a really great reminder that everything you do with gaming is tied into literacy. Um, Even if, even if they're not using Calkins, I know that's a program that's being heavily adopted in a lot of school districts, but even if they're not using Calkins, the unit itself is just a great end of year unit and the kids are so engaged and, it's just really wonderful. And I love being able to share it with people. Yeah, I'm super excited, honestly, to share this with mine, because they were kind of this is our first year, they kind of went through the curriculum. And then uh, fourth quarter was kind of like, what are we going to do? You know, yeah. so um, I think this is great. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to work with them um, in developing this and helping them put this forward. So uh I hope I'm not scheduled a, gen- a trade day when you are, because, or if anything else, we're going to get together and we're going to talk. So yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you so much. How can people get a hold of you if they want to find out more? Um, they can email me at my Gmail, S uh, Crocker Bonilla, K R O C K E R um, B O N I L L A at Gmail, uh, or at um, Twitter at, at Advent Geek Girl. Um, A-D-V-E-N-T-G-E-E-K-G-I-R-L. <laughs> uh, but those are, the, those are the two best ways to um, get a hold of me. And I'm more than happy to share resources and um, provide feedback or even, you know, share what I've learned. I do have lists of games I use and things like that. So um, I'm more than happy to help. And I'm always excited when someone asks for my help <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because I, you know, uh, it's it's a very unique um, position to be in, to be passionate about gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have a lot of outlets for that in my district at a professional level. Well, yeah. you know, I, I have, uh, so I guess I'll work in my contact information at Mercury, <laughs> BGG Funk Donut, and then my website, KathleenMercury.com. I am, I have, so I get a lot of traffic at my website. So if you want to put together everything for a page, I'll just put it on mine. And so that'll be another way for people to find your stuff. I'm more than happy to do that because the more we get people using games in the classroom, the better for everyone. So we can talk about that after, but, um, yeah. I feel like you looked at my to-do list or something because <laughs> that's on there. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, I'm totally happy to help if you want me to. So, well, th- Sarah, thanks so much. Um, hopefully people will reach out. Like I said, I'm Kathleen Mercury at Mercury with seven M's games in schools and libraries. Um, thanks so much. And we'll see, we'll talk to everybody next time. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. You can find out more about Inverse Genius and the people who create the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast by visiting us at inversegenius.com, where we have other great shows such as Onboard Games, On RPGs, On Minis Games, and The Room Escape Divas. If you would like to be on the show or have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com and let us know. We do have our episodes booked out for several weeks in advance, so if you have something time-sensitive, you will want to contact us as early as possible.